Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay, so uh, we left two questions to this point in the class. So do you remember them? Go for it. Mm-hmm. And it's just sometimes it puzzles me because it just seems like such a narrow path that you yeah. do it the right way. Yeah. Whereas my mind is telling me I have a million ways to do it. Yeah. But when I try those million ways, none of them work except yeah. for that one little narrow path. Yeah. Which seems narrow from the outside, but once I get a feel for it, it feels like it's available everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So remember, maybe it was a week or two ago, I made that post about um, there's this you know, repeating the sentiment that's often said here. There's a kind of race, right? You're, there's a kind of race with yourself in that every rep that you do wrong, you move further and further away from doing the art correctly, okay? And I think that's what you're talking about here, or that's what is recalled to my mind as you say that. Um, and it always takes me back to something my... my um, training partner in the sheriff's office always says to, to new deputies, and so remember, practice does not make perfect, practice makes permanent, okay? And so that's that race, all right? Um, but the other thing I hear in what you're saying is that remember the art in its proper form, in its pre-modern form, in its post archaeological work that gets you beyond the contemporary corruptions and degenerations that understand the art today. Okay? When you get back past that, you don't have this division between the martial and the spiritual. And it's very common today to work through this division. So you, this, this is where you get the sentiment always. Aikido is not, not about self-defense. Um, Aikido is not for fighting. All, all this, this kind of sentiment, all right? Uh, and really, the sentiment alone is not the problem in that it's not wholly false, okay? But it's who's saying it and for what reason. So, it's very, very rare. In fact, I'm only allowing for the mathematical possibility of such a person. But in my case, in my experience, the person who usually says that has no fighting capacity whatsoever, okay? No self-defense capacity. It's not just a lack of interest in fighting or a lack of interest in self-defense. It's zero capacity. And it begs the question then, is that where your interest comes from? Is your interest actually 
a post hoc justification for this incapacity? If you go a little deeper, though, and you look at it from your question's perspective, here I am, I'm trying to learn the form. But what is correct form? Is there some kind of universal, abstract, semantic in the form that the form all by itself carries its meaning outside of all contexts? Well, you know what? If you actually discovered something like that, I'm sure that some uh, philosophy of language departments would like to talk to you because you're the first person ever who discovered something that makes sense out of an external context or outside of context, you see. I know what the form means by the context in which it takes place. And what is the context here? Why, why do I decide that this tesabaki is correct form and therefore should be practiced, and this tesabaki is incorrect form and therefore should not be practiced? How do I decide between the two if I have no context on which to weigh them against each other? And that is why, that is really why you see this lack of self-defense capacity or lack of fighting capacity in the perspectives that have no martial context. Is what, what ends up happening is not that they have this kind of um, um, pacifistic interest in nonviolence. What ends up happening is that they don't know the context for a martial situation. And the art, therefore, cannot distinguish between good form and bad form. And something else fills the space, okay? Now, from our point of view, what that something else is, is your ego. Your, your ego tripartite starts to decide what's good form and what's not good form. And this is, this, for example, Let's go uh, to some very simple martial tendencies when we function through the ego tripartite. I push on what's pushing on me. I pull on what's pulling on me, okay? And if you look, take, it would be a very interesting sociological um, experiment, so to speak. Let me go to a dojo that claims Aikido has no martial capacity or, uh, and should not have a martial capacity. Let us look at that. Let us look at how they decide good form from bad form, okay? And let us look at the end results. And I'm going to pause. I'm going to hypothesize that what you see is the form starts to, um, as, as Sensei used to say, there, a self-indulgence takes over. What is right and what is wrong is determined according to that ego tripartite. And you'll tend to see pushing against pushing and pulling against pulling. E even in this so-called nonviolent martial art, it's like they're doing the threat cycle and the will to power manipulation of the external environment. Okay, you're going to see that. Or you're going to prescribe that uke never generates any kind of force that would trigger your ego tripartite in that threat behavioral cycle, 
So what does this mean? Well, Uke never strikes with Shomenuchi. Uke sort of sticks their hand out there, and they sort of just touch my arm. Do you see that? So they never push on me, and hence I never push on them because they're never triggering me. I took out all conflict, so there's nothing to resolve. Okay, And so by that kind of training, you circle back and you actually see um, no wonder you're martially ineffective because you've never set up the martial context at all for you to reconcile as historically the art would try to do as a way. Do you see? So you, you get these kind of, it's more of a structural relationship in my opinion. It's not a motivational relationship. It's a structural relationship between my art is not for self-defense. My art is not about fighting A. B, I don't have a context external to my ego tripartite for determining form from non-form. And then C, where you start to manipulate the training environment in order to make that self-indulgence appear some kind of, you know, appear wise or universal or objectively true, okay? All those things go together. And I would tell you, no, you, you need the martial context to determine good form from bad form. Um, and in, in this class, as you see, when I get introduced to a Kihon Waza, Aikido overall is quite ignorant of the fact that there is no one-to-one -one relationship between your Kihon Waza and your martial application. So as, as much of the modern world is in all their arts, okay? Yeah, even, even um, you know, the, the call for MMA and, and what have you is an extension of that ignorance. Is that I do not understand how for centuries human beings used form to move beyond form. You see it? We're, we're now ignorant of that technology. That's where you get those crazy discussions on, on Shu Hadi, for example. And people don't understand, like, you, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how far back in time that actually goes as a pedagogy. Okay? But if I, don't, if I don't have any fighting experience or any fighting context, it's very hard to understand the form beyond that simple one-to-one -one ratio in self-defense as a self-defense solution. So a guy grabs my hand, and I'm going to do Naga on them. And uh, that's like really crazy, from a, just from a martial context, okay? And if you've ever been in a, in a martial context, you know that, but the problem is, that most of the Aikido population does not, has not, does not have that experience um, or does not train to have that experience. And so even like the first question is, mar the first martial question would be, why did you let that guy grab your wrist? That, that would be the first martial question. You know, and, and if you're trying to be martially viable, you would go, wow, my percentage of martial success goes way up if I just never let him grab my wrist, right? Well, the idiot is going to realize that 
but doesn't realize the pre-modern pedagogy of using form to move beyond form and go, you know what? I'm going to update Aikido. I'm going to get rid of Kosa Dori. I'm going to get rid of Katata Dori. F Dori, all Dori out. You, you know what I mean? Instead, from a martial context, from a martial understanding, from a martial experience, you can look in the pre-modern forms and see what these civilizations were doing. This part here, that part there, that's what I'm working on, okay? But if I don't have the underlying martial context, not only does that part or this part not become obvious to you, but that part done poorly or that part done skillfully is also unknown to us, okay? And so if you look at this class, um, we had a basic tactic. I'm going to pass the guy's limbs and go for spinal control. That, that, that's it. Many, many arts look to manipulate the spine. It's, 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 a, it's a proven thing. It works. Or even colloquially, control the head, you control the guy. Almost every art has some aspect of that. You even had it in, in your latest Nawaza training where you're doing the knee pull. Right, you're you're trying to get your knees uh, distally away from their center of gravity up towards their head in order to control their structure, their posture. Right, and you were successful or not by how high you got, or how, you know, up their spine, how distal you moved up their spine from their center of gravity to the point where if you didn't do that against a resisting person, you didn't move them at all. And, uh, and the dilemmas that we were working on all just went out the window. Do you, do you see that? So this is a very martial, universal tactic. Okay? I'm going to uh, try to get head control, try to get distal spine control. But you have problems. It's not so easy. The dude has limbs. They're in the way. They're countering me. They don't want me to do that. Do you get it? So why don't I develop a tactic where I get past those limbs and I, and I get to the spine? Oh, that, that works pretty good. But if that's all I'm trying to do, you find out you're not so successful because you are really dependent upon the person's overpenetration. Do, do you get that? And so, so in other words, I can't get... Let's just use our, our terms. I can't get to Chicago. I can't get to um, the place I need to be to the rear of Uke in order to use the kazushi that was described for me in Iriminage. I, I'm not to the rear of them, and they're not going forward, so I can't use my centripetal energy to disturb their balance. Do you see that? What ends up happening is you stay in front of the person, unless... They overpenetrate. Okay, now granted, some people overpenetrate. It's not uncommon, especially in asocial violence. Psychologically, they practice a form of territoriality, and they want to stand where your spine is standing. Okay, so you move out of the way like a bull and a bullfighter, and the bull goes by. It does happen. But as you saw in the last drill, 
It doesn't happen that much. Do you see that? Both in frequency, they don't do it all the time, and also in degree. It, they, they might overpenetrate by an inch. Do you get it? And so your art has gone, all right, this distal control of the spine is key. I know it works, but these arms are in the way. Let me try to uh, do more than just non-contestation. That's your jujitsu solution. Just move out of the way. Don't contest for that space where that person wants their spine to stand. Move your spine out of the way, and you often get them penetrating more than they initially wanted to, okay, in their raw aggression. But your art is a kind of jujitsu, and so what it does is it uses that internal aspect, that Aiki adhesion, to extend that penetration maybe an inch, maybe two inches, right? And now you have a better chance of getting yourself where you need to be for the Edimi Kazushi. Do, do you guys see that? And what happened is in that last drill, you didn't have the Aiki adhesion. And so you were subject only to those rarities when the person would overpenetrate on, on their own, right? Or you just failed a lot. You just stood in front of the guy. They never passed you. The, the shikaku never actually opened to you from, through Edimiyashi, right? Or that's also where those Tenkan solutions were coming from. It's like you're in front of the guy, and that's why you're trying to turn and get some more momentum so they go past you. Do you see that? But this is not martial. Again, if you knew the context, it, you would know that's not the way it works, okay? So if you go back now and you go like, wow, I'm having problems with these arms uh, in the way for distally controlling the spine. And actually, when I look deeper, I'm having problems because I can't get the Aiki adhesion to give me that extra inch or two inches of, of uh, overpenetration on their part. Do you get it? So that I can couple their forward progress with my centripetal energy on the neck and generate the Kazushi without pulling them backwards because that would be a violation of yin and yang. They're going forward. I'm not pulling them backwards, okay? And again, it's more than just uh, a violation of yin and yang. It's martially ineffective. So some of you maybe got there, and now you're resorting to pulling on their gi or uh, using your thumb and claws to get a hold of them. This is not working, okay? This does not work. T-shirts ripped, jackets pulled down. There's a lot of slack in the gi collar, even as strong as these, these gi are. And you probably aren't going to be facing people that are clo clothing dependent for your technique. I don't think that's very martially sound. That's like a specialized subset of combat, okay? So what you do then is after you realize, oh, wow, I... I uh, I should probably just work on this Aiki adhesion part. And now Kihon Waza is making more sense. Do you see? The guy starts from a prescribed grip. It's not a grab attack. He just starts there. And now I practice the non-contestation. That's the yielding in Katata Dori. That's the yielding. Let's say he grabs my right arm. The yielding of the right arm is the non-contestation of your jujitsu. Don't brace against him. Don't uh, pull him in. Blend with his initial energy. And to do that, you're going to have to start the Aiki adhesion already on that grip arm, as we said. Otherwise, they don't, 
They don't move in. They can't move in. It's not a matter of you getting out of the way. It's a matter of you not contesting, true, and then adhering them forward to create the opening, which is the tactic itself. In katatadori, we start, they grab my right arm, or start with my right arm, and then I pick that same skill set up with the left hand. Do you see it? And the left hand does another adaiki adhesion. And in training, what you want to do is prolong those moments. The, the prolonging of those moments is the uh, further cultivation of the skill set. You don't want them to move one or two inches. You want to see them move one or two feet. Okay? In Kihon, you can think of it that way. You know, one to two feet movement correlates to one to two inches in, in a dynamic living situation. Okay? Well, if I, if I only get one to two inches in my Kihon, I'm not going to get one to two inches when this dude is fighting and trying to counter me. Do you, do you understand? So that's why you see me move the person so far past uh, where you think they should go. Or as I demonstrated yesterday in the Kosodori, uh, you can see that the, the uke is being moved. It's not, it's not bullfighting. I'm not getting out of the way and they run past me. Okay? I'm trying to work on the very thing uh, why I did not prove successful in a dynamic situation. I, don't, I, I, I am too over-dependent upon their mistakes, do you see? So through the Aiki adhesion, I capitalize upon their mistakes, which is different from I'm dependent upon their mistakes. If I'm dependent upon their mistakes, they are in control. They have the initiative. You do not tend to win fights or contests when you don't have the initiative. Okay, And don't confuse yielding with forfeiting the initiative. Then if you do that mistake, you don't understand jiu-jitsu at all. Okay. So grab my right hand, I pass it to my left hand, do you see? And I'm working on the martial tactic of how do, I get, how do I get rid of these arms, use them to my advantage so I can get to the distal end of the spine, and now I'm going to manipulate his spine, do you see? And I'm going to affect that relationship between line of gravity, center of gravity, base of support. Okay. That's what I'm trying to do. So it almost at a certain point, if I didn't have the martial context, if I didn't learn that you can't just eat me to the back of somebody, do you see? And you can't just knock their hands out of the way and, and they, they go flying past you, right? Or even if you don't realize that... Um, Opponents don't uh, stick themselves to your arms. Do you see that? Then you don't even understand what you were doing in the Kihon Waza at the beginning, as, as we saw. So there was a lot of corrections after they grabbed the right hand. A lot of you kind of do like a pulling manipulation to move them forward, not a true adhesion. Do you remember when I showed the example? He can open his grip and he's still going to move forward. You guys are kind of, you know, getting their elbow to come in and then manipulating them in through their skeleton, which is why when you go to the second hand, which has no grip, they stop moving, do you see? And so there was a lot of corrections. In the kihon, you need the second hand to continue their forward progress. That is addressing the problem of the arms that are in the way for distal control of the spine. 
okay? So if you were training martially, you would focus in on that part because if you can't do that, you will never get to the back like you think you will in, in a dynamic situation. And that's what we saw, okay? So there was a lot of corrections on. Second hand, they've stopped moving. You're starting to turn them. And hence, no IK adhesion. And then when you went to the dynamic situation, they didn't go flying past you, you see. They didn't stand there waiting for you to turn them. But you would not know how significant that second hand is or what it is supposed to do if you did not have the martial context wherein failure is clearly distinguishable from success. Do you see it? So you can't even understand the form. Even if you had zero intention to ever use the form martially or any aspect of the form martially, you just can't have good form that way. You fill the gaps instead with that ego tripartite, right? And in, in a way, this kind of hippie Jesus pacifistic um, platform will have you pulling on them as they're going for, as they're either staying still or they were going forward. Meaning you're doing the yong yong clash, hippie Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Because you cannot do the actual kazushi pattern that is the only one that will work at, at, at this uh, dynamic level. Meaning I can't pull people. I can't tilt them over. I can't do that. What the heck am I? Am, am I the Hulk here? Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a very weird thing. Um, it's not very hippie Jesus of you, hippie Jesus. Do, do you know what I mean? Okay. So you, you had another question. Do you remember it? Yeah, and and you and you right. We always say that that like our our schedule and our and our culture's uh, daily hour, they're they're not requirements, but culturally, right? They're they're requirements, <laughs> right? That that four to six kind of thing, you know, uh, that four to six hours a day is just like um, let's be realistic, okay? L let's look at what you're trying to achieve. Right? You know, if you're hippie Jesus and you get to not be hippie Jesus while you are hippie Jesus, it doesn't take that much longer. You know, hell, don't even, two to three hours a week and just talk during those three hours. You're going to be fine, hippie Jesus. You know what I mean? But even as I'm watching, you know, we were doing the, the PT today. I was like, I wish some of you would get stronger. 
uh, and you, you need to, uh, you know, you need to train more. You need to train more to get stronger, okay? Same thing like some of you got a little nose pat because you're taking too long to put on your uniform, right? But it was tied to you're not training enough. It shouldn't, shouldn't take that long to put your uniform on. It's like, get this thing done. So, um, you know, when you're in the academy, um, they have these quick change moments. Uh, they, they are just insane. You, you know, you have to put on your, your whole uniform. It's got to be inspection level ready. Um, even the kids did it in the Explorers, and, you know, others have been in the Custody Academy, but uh, they give you some unreasonable time or at least you think it's unreasonable, right? Let's be fair. Uh, you think it's unreasonable to go change out of your PT gear and go put your uniform on with your duty belt and everything like that and get back and, not, and have every, you know, line in order and no dust and on your uniform and everything's organized, you know, but they're like, you know, fail! And they make you go change again in your PT and you come back and it's always the case that somebody's like wearing someone else's shoes, someone else's shirt and stuff or comes out without their name tag, you know. Um, but what you realize over the years, it doesn't take, you know, usually like new, new officers will show up like an hour uh, before time, before their, their shift because it takes that long to get ready. Um, and you'll see, like, the more experienced officers, and they're, like, rolling in five minutes before <laughs> they're supposed to be in the car and, and uh, shagging calls, and, uh, you know, you're like, he's never, she's never going to be ready. And, oh, there, there they are, actually. I heard them go 10-8 before I even got my car loaded up, right? And, uh, but you, you learn that through experience and investment, Putting your uniform on is quite easy to do. It doesn't need to take as long as it's taking right now, okay? But that same investment, you know, that's a kind of improvement that comes from a kind of commitment, that comes from a kind of sacrifice of other things. And so too, then, is strength, or so too is being able to understand the martial context when you're coming from this novice perspective. I don't, I don't. I don't even know what we're really doing. I don't understand what we're doing. Um, it's going to be hard to understand if you're barely training. And you should have it in your mind. If you're, if you're, if you're under four hours a day, you, you are barely training. That, that should be your mindset. Okay? We're, we're pretty liberal in the sense that, um, you know, hey, uh, why don't you just work on that? Work so you can get these four hours going, okay? Uh, we give you all the time in the world, but we are never going to deny that you're not barely training, okay? And so we're, we're never not going to call you on your expectations for a yield that's not possible with your level of sacrifice and commitment, Okay? Why don't you just work, work, take it as a, as a training problem to be solved, right? So we do all kinds of things to help you. Not only do we give you all the time in the world you want to deal with that, but you have a key and you can come train anytime, 
We give you lots of solo drills and exercises where you could fill your time at home. Uh, we've given out exercise equipment that you could take home and, and use at home. Um, you have all those videos, you have all the podcasts, you have all the readings. There's plenty of things that you could do to stop making you fall in a level of commitment that cannot produce what needs to be produced, okay? Um, key, I want to, you know, some of you that feels like, mm, he's getting on me. Can't you just say my two hours a day is good? No. No, I cannot, okay? You do you, and I do me. Why, you know, I accept you, including your lack of sacrifice, I accept it so much, I don't have to deny it, you see? Well, please accept me. Accept me, and therefore accept me not accepting you, okay? That, that's how I, I see it, right? Um, please rest assured, you can take however long you want to figure that problem out, the problem of commitment and sacrifice. There's no rush to it. Okay, it's the only problem is your own ego problem that I'm telling you right now, it's not enough. So it's not enough, okay, fine. Well, this is where I'm at, that's fine. Be where you're at, got it? Um, is there anything else? Yes? Andrew, just watching you on that last drill and going, okay, he's shifting his weight this way, Mm -hmm. when it's our turn, when yeah. the drill is actually due. Yeah. And I, th I think you just ran into the problem that some martial artists ran into long, long ago. Do you see? Which is, uh, I'm going to need this Ike adhesion. I need about one to two inches more of penetration in order to create the, 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 uh, the yin space for the edimiyashi in the back of the person. You see? I think you guys are just reliving that same insight. Some guy or some woman long ago, man, I can't get to the back. I just can't. If I could, I'd be so much better, right? Just like the guy today who might realize, I'm so much better if I don't let him grab me. Do you know what I mean? So you're just, you're just re realizing the, the, um, the martial invalidity of trying to control somebody's uh, trying to control somebody's um, fighting capacity, so their capacity to attack and their capacity to counter and defend themselves, when all I'm doing is controlling their limbs. That, that's basically what you've ran into, that truth, okay? Um, which is why this class was filled with don't just control the limb. Don't just control the limb. Remember when, when we were doing the Kihon Waza, it was don't control the limb. If you're here, you're going to control the limb, and it's, it won't do what you think it's going to do. It's working right now because of some weird, sick Aikido culture where Uka sticks to you, or um, the dude is in prescription form, and so you can be below the elbow, and you can be on top of the bicep, and things like that. Do you get it? You're trying to use the limb to generate the kazushi. It just does not work. Well, somebody learned that centuries ago, okay? And we're just coming to terms with the tr same truth, okay? Now we have to find, hey, what, you know, 
What'd you figure out? Well, here's what I figured out. If I get this adhesion, if, I, if, if from wherever I'm touching them, I'm actually offend, affecting that relationship between center of gravity, line of gravity, and base of support, I can do things like get to the back. Well, how'd you do that? I did it like this. What? Right? No. Start drilling that. Start drilling that. And that's the first part of the kihon in the iriminage, right? So again, as I said, anybody who is not moving the person forward in the kihon waza with the second hand was not going to be successful in that last drill. And that's precisely what we saw, okay? You're just chasing arms and stuff, right? Okay, the, the last thing I'd like to talk to you about and to tie it to... Um, the book and the question that Virginia brought up the other day. So I'll put a link to the book in the podcast notes here. Uh, but it's the one on the devil. And what you want to understand in this pre-modern epistemy is that it is truly this kind of... Uh, um, Singularity, let's, it's, this is going to suck. This is going to be wrong, but let's get on the same page. There's some sort of singularity that, uh, out of which a duality comes from. So an example of that is out of the Tao comes the yin and the yang kind of thing. Okay? That Tao is some sort of unknowable, unspeakable, um, incomprehensible field of potentiality. And out of that... These two things come, okay? Um, these two things, this yin and the yang, are not antithetical to the Tao. That, that would be weird, okay? Um, nor are they antithetical to themselves because they came out of the Tao. That would be weird, okay? And this is why I, I describe this epistemy as concentric. The, the, the principles, whatever they may be, no matter how unspeakable they are, are the same between the Tao, this singularity, and between this harmonic dualism, yin and yang, okay? And so in this book, um, what this Buddhist practitioner did is he cuts through all that crap that has made Buddhism today some sort of poor man's psychology, okay? And I think, as I said, I believe he probably did it because um, just as you might in your Aikido, as, as I think uh, Sean was saying, when, when you see what's actually going on, you have this sense of like, holy crap, what was I doing? Something about the martial context gives you a kind of wake up, a wake up call to what you've been doing right? So some sort of crisis, in other words, comes up and you realize my training or my cultivation or whatever it is, my wisdom tradition does not seem to suffice in light of this crisis. Some people will go like, oh, it's because my thing's total bullshit. I need to do MMA, right? You get that. But this guy didn't do this. This guy went past all that 
degeneration that you have to do the archaeology through. And he went down straight to the polycanon. These are the original texts um, that the original or the earliest Buddhist community wrote down about the Buddha. The Buddha said this and these kind of things. And when he got that far, he starts to see that this group of people living way back then spoke entirely different about the Buddha and Buddhism than how he and others and for centuries have been speaking about that. Okay? And what he saw was this character, this devil character, Mara. And that early Pali canon is kind of like, it, it, it really shouldn't be the tale of the Buddha. It's really like a, like a, you know, like you have the I Love Lucy show, but it was Lucy and Desi. Do you know what I mean? So this early Buddhist canon is really like um, Gautama and Mara. That, it's like that. That's the real name of the sitcom. Okay. And what, what this relationship is about is this ancient civilization has tied into this aspect that um, there is this field of pure potentiality that is unknowable and unspeakable, but it's not antithetical to this, to reality, to as I live it on a normal daily basis. Okay. So in terms of our discourse here, we would say your second mind aspect or your God consciousness is not antithetical to your um, ego tripartite or your first mind aspect. These, these things uh, work not like ego tripartite, but it does have some negative aspects to it. And then God consciousness, good, right? That, that's not what you want. You want to remember the original discourse. Out of the Tao come the yin and yang. Nobody ever goes, fuck yin and yang. That's some fucked up shit. I'm going to go straight down. Yeah. <laughs> Pre-moderns would go, you're not getting it. Please step off. You know, Why don't you learn how to tie your uniform first? Don't take so long. Okay. But what you see is this constant juxtaposition between what we would want to call like this dark force and this light force. Do you see? And that is a pairing that you see throughout pre-modern civilizations and pre-modern wisdom traditions. There's no rejection of this dark side. There's more of an integration, and that's really a terrible word, but bear with me, okay? It's not a rejection of the dark side. That you can't really understand the teaching or the teacher when you take off the table this darkness. And our, our modern mentalities are take off the darkness. Darkness, no. Do you see? But these pre-modern wisdom traditions are like, that's a mistake. 
it's not even doable. But that's actually the ultimate darkness. And that's why you get this polycanon, which is just constantly talking about Mara and Gautama, Mara and Gautama, like, holy cow. It would have been awesome if they would have just kept the Mara in the title, you know. It's like one of those movies where your favorite star is not in the credits. You're like, why did they put him in the credits? It's just a cameo. This was more than a cameo, okay? Well, your Aikido works through this same pre-modern epistemy. And there is more than just a contextual relationship between the martial and the spiritual in Aikido. Okay? Meaning, there is a kind of um, cosmological truth to that pairing that you will lose if you just focus on one or the other. Okay? And when I say that, I mean... Like, it's the ultimate truth. It's you, it's your Buddha and your Mara. Okay. And to me, structurally, that's why you see these degenerations in the, in the Aikido that try to be one or the other. When they try to be one or the other, they actually lose the thing they say they're keeping. Pre-modern cultures always tied these things together. It was the path to truth, the path to wellness, the path to wholeness. You can't take one off the table, keep one. It's not possible. And you don't want it and you shouldn't want it. So your, your art is, you know, if we say, well, you know, when I do my, let's just speak in gross terms, when I, when I do my Zazen or that's the Buddha, and when I'm out here and I try to kill you, that's Mara, you know. Maybe start there, but then start, start going deeper and figure out those two things are there in everything we're doing. Okay. And if they're not, then defer to the ancients, to the centuries and countless people that kept them both on the table. Let go of your modern, ignorant, self-indulgent theory of evolution that what you're doing is better simply because it's you who's doing it, okay? Try to keep this Mara and Buddha in every aspect of your training. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit ascensioncenter.com S-E-N-S-H-I-N C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.